you're able to stand and join us in the reading of the word. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, through, through chapter 18, the entire chapter, and Christy has appeared with me to assist me with this because you've heard my voice for a long time now. So Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and hers went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Chapter 18. Chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how God had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he had said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with the sons of his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that God is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread. And Moses' father-in-law, with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses all morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? alone with all the people standing around you from morning until evening and Moses said to his father-in-law because the people came to me to inquire of God 
when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I, might, I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, from, for the things is too, this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and give their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens, tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men from all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. The word of God. You may be seated. To God, Dave and Christy, you are much loved here. And we're so excited to have you in this leadership role. God bless you. Thank you. And God in his providence would have us both hearing Dave's testimony and thinking about where we're at as a church and thinking about this particular chapter. You know, what are some very difficult phrases for any person to say? And uh, high on my list are three words, three little words. I need help. I have such a tough time saying that, actually. I need help. And today's passage, what connects these thematically, of course, you can have more than one faithful sermon um, on a text of Scripture, but what holds this passage together is Moses, one of the, the great leaders of all time. I think you'd agree with me. He'd be close to the top of the list, a man of great ability as God would gift him. Both of these uh, scenes show that Moses needed help. And my prayer today is that this both first applies to the church family, to the people of God, uh, how we help each other here, but then also that these principles would be applicable in your own context, that all of us lead in some uh, way or fashion, and that these would be good reminders in those contexts as well. So first, uh, heading number one here pops right out at us, right, that we're all subject to fatigue and burnout. It's a bit of a warning shot, right? Shot over the bow here, that even the most able people, there'll be times when we come when we just can't do it. And you have this scene at the end of chapter 17 from verse 8, that the Israelites, the first group of people that oppose them are these Amalekites. And you have this somewhat strange scene that Moses and the other leaders would go up on top of the hill, and that uh, as Moses would raise his hand, the Israelites would win the battle, but if he dropped his hands, then the Amalekites would prevail. Now, no one really knows for sure what's happening here. Most would say that when Moses is like this, it's a posture of prayer. Uh, it's showing that the Israelites are dependent upon God, or perhaps, you know, in, in 
days, well, really, warfare up to the modern times, that you had a banner with a, a, a symbol on it, and since Israel didn't have a symbol, Moses' hands kind of uh, stood as the banner, as later the Lord as our banner would indicate. But nevertheless, Moses would go like this, and Israel would prevail, but if they started to slag a bit, then the Amalekites would fail. And you say, how long can you do this? Me, not very long. I remember those as a kid, you know, you'd do the prayer, you know, commissioning of the missionaries. You'd hold out your hands like this. I'm like, man, I'm getting tired. You know, you're thinking that. It's hard to hold up your hands uh, all day. And so what happens is just that. You see that little line on Moses' hands grew weary. He got tired and he needed help. And so they find a rock for him and they sit him down on the rock and his brother Aaron and his buddy Hur have to hold up his hands you know, we don't really know what Moses felt about this. Um, I, I just, I, I would say, personally, my interaction with, with men over the years is to say, you're, you're none too pleased about this. Um, you know, the others can stand, but I need to sit. Um, I, I, need, I need help, you know, really in a quite personable and vulnerable way, holding up my hands. I need you to come and stand right close to me and I'm going to do this. And it's, it's all very vulnerable. It's all very uh, tactile and personal. You see, a lot of us don't like that. I remember, uh, you know, very, very sadly in some ways, thinking about uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, the, those who were saying, you know, we can't be, can't be shaking hands anymore, can't be touching each other. And you say, well, what kind of world is that then where we can't uh, you know, hold each other and help each other. But nonetheless, that Moses is in a vulnerable position and he needs help because he's subject to fatigue as every person is subject to fatigue and burnout. You know, it reminds me of another passage in the Bible, you know, one altogether different context, but you know, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, St. Paul, is a very proud man. He's a very able man, uh, a zealot and, and very, again, very bright. You remember that story in Acts 9, right, that he encounters the risen Jesus, and he's struck blind, and there's a little line in there, I often wondered about that, Paul had to be led by the hand because he was blind. See, the proud man humbled. The proud man needed his hand to be held and nursed. And wherever you're at today, you're looking around, say, well, I'm able-bodied, I'm strong, I work out. Say, well, that, that day is coming for us, that there will be a day where we need help, that there'll be days when we're vulnerable, we need others to come beside us and help us out, and to say that really is part of what it means to be human. So that's one, that Moses needed help, and he was quite vulnerable. But nevertheless, that won the day. Now, how about 18? What's going on there? You say the demands of Moses are leading to burnout. You say, what's he trying to do? He's trying to do everything, right? Verse 15, everybody has a need, and Moses is trying to meet the needs. And the language, how very modern. If you look at uh, verse 18, you know, it's something like burnout, right? Uh, you know, that you're going to, wear yourself out. I mean, it's just right out of the modern leadership magazines. You're going to wear, you're going to, you're going to be subject to burnout. And what we need Moses to do is to endure. We need him. We're playing a long game here. That leadership in any context is a long game and you're going to be wary and you cannot. You say, I'd love to make that the sermon title. I don't like making negative sermon titles, but I think it would have worked very well. You see in verse 18, you can't do it alone. Um, you can't do it alone, Moses. You're going to wear yourself out. And this whole aspect of leadership, you know, they say leadership is lonely in any, any context you're in. Well, by definition, right, you're the only one doing the role that you've been called to do, so you're looking over your shoulders, and no one really understands what I'm doing. And so it's all very lonely. And I just say, point number one today, a little shot to say a, a warning that all of us are subject to fatigue and burnout and weariness. Uh, the first rule of management and leadership 
is to be able to manage yourself. And what's meant by that is to know your limitations. To know to say, I'm really pushing myself in such a way that's not healthy for me, for those around me, that uh, the Bible would be very clear that we should manage ourselves. And verse 12 of chapter 17, say we're going to need others who keep our hands steady. That it's a biblical thing. So point one, we're all subject to fatigue and burnout. Moses, no one would argue, one of the great leaders in world history, he needed help, and he needed help in a number of different ways. Now, point number two, and this uh, will get us a bit more down in the gut. Say, why am I reluctant to ask for help? Um, what's really the, the blocker to me admitting my need? And you say, you might have a needy person in your life. I think we'd all have somebody at the family holidays or just in our circle who'd be like, that person you know, is just a, a, a very needy person and they're always, they, they don't talk to me unless they need something. And for me to ask to help, I, I would lump myself on with that very needy person. But I'd say that's no excuse. There are always you know, some people that need more than others, but that does not nullify what we're talking about here. Others, you'd say, well, we, we live in an age of selfish entitlement. Uh, personal responsibility and personal ambition, the things that many of us were taught uh, as youngsters is kind of out the window, that we just all want more and more and more, and to ask for help, would that mean that we're those who are entitled and selfish and needy and so forth? Say, so those things aside, you know, for me, if I'm honest, the, the reason why I have a tough time saying those three words, I need help, is because of my, my ego. It's my pride. Uh, I'll do it myself. I can manage it, I'm a competent fella, I'm clever, that's why I'm doing it, and I don't need anybody else to help me. But you see, friends, that that's a very prideful thing, and it's a failure to recognize just who we are. Say also, a company say, why don't I, why don't I say, why don't I delegate, why don't I ask for help? Well, because I love control. Uh, to delegate means that you, or at least you think you lose a little bit of control. So human pride, my ego, my longing for control, I don't need any help. The issue with that is it really goes against a biblical anthropology. It goes against the clear idea, right? If you're under the word of the Lord, as every member of our church is, right? You're, we're bringing ourselves under scripture. The great truth is that we're creatures. That we're creatures subject to decay. That we're all going one way as a consequence of the fall. That there is a perfect being who is not subject to decay. The God who made us. But we are as creatures from the dust. And we, uh, those of us who are children of God, must admit our dependence upon him. And our limitations and our frailty. And in doing that, it's very scary. As Dave said, you get to that point point, say, I don't know as much as I think I do. And it's scary to say we don't have the, all the answers, that I can't do it myself, that I need help. But as soon as we get that out, if we're able to, to get there, there's something also, also tremendously liberating in that, isn't there? To say, I recognize there's a good God in heaven who made everything, there's a being who's not subject to decay, and yet I'm very different, that I'm frail and finicky, and I don't know the answers, and that I need help. And you see, there's a very big difference there between uh, the way a Christian and a non-Christian would view things. Have you seen all the things uh, that the, the great innovators and the great technological uh, developers in our country are doing to reverse the aging process? Have you fo followed some of that? Say, really serious um, investigations into how you can get human cells to go the other way, how we can keep replacing parts, and a real effort to say, is there a way that we can uh, live forever? Can we, can we um, manufacture a way to not be subject to, to frailty and to burnout and, and to fatigue? That's the way of the world. There's what the Christian knows is to say, I'm a, I'm a creature, and Psalm 90 
very sobering psalm of Moses, by the way. You know what it says? 70 years, any year above 70 is a bit of a bonus. And life expectancy from the time of Moses to Ohio 2022, about the same, 70 or 80 years. So points here again, which I had more time today, but it was important uh, that we heard from Dave because it dovetails so well. But point number one, we're all subject to fatigue and burnout. It's a warning to us to pay attention to our limitations, that to not admit that really uh, is about my pride and my ego. And then point number three, where we'll spend the remainder of our time, is that God provides wonderful resources from within his people. From within his people. We focus on this man, Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law. And Moses, uh, Jethro, is not, uh, he's a Gentile. He's a Midianite priest when we first meet him back in the early part of Exodus. So he's a Gentile. He's an outsider. But it shows us in chapter 18 that God got a hold of him, doesn't it? That he marvels as Moses would relate what God has done for the Israelites. Jethro marvels. He even makes sacrifices. So to think that this father-in-law has come around and acknowledge the true God, and now he's coming back into town, and he's confronting his son-in-law, and we learn, I think, three really important things from Jethro. First, this is, you hear the people talk about, or you hear somebody say he spoke truth into his life. I think that's what Jethro's doing here. He's he's gonna speak truth into Moses' life because he comes to Israel, and he looks what's happening. He says, this is just not sustainable, (laughs) that all the people are coming to you, Moses, with a need, all their disputes, and you're, you're leading them spiritually. This just isn't working. And if you look here at verse 18, I think this is the, the, shows the motivation of Jethro. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. In other words, there's a concern for the well-being of everybody. That when we have the wrong structure, uh, when we have the wrong way of managing things, everybody loses. Why is that? Well, Moses can't possibly get to all the things that are demanded of him, and then the people are frustrated because they can't hear from God and that they don't know which direction is which. So everybody is losing based on this structure, and Jethro comes, right, sees the situation and says, I'm worried about everybody. Here's a better way. So the point is it's, it's couched in care, that the advice of Jethro is really couched in care. And I think a good leadership principle there, you say you want to make a correction, somebody that you're overseeing, say, what's my motivation here? Is it to show my brass? Is it to push them around? Is it because, you know, I'm not getting my way? Or is it really couched in to say, you know what? We need to care. We need to care better with what God has entrusted us. And that's Jethro. You're not doing a great job of caring. And that's our top priority. He doesn't overthrow anything. Notice he doesn't come in and say, Moses, you imbecile. I mean, you've got it all wrong. This needs to complete, you know, the complete rebuild. Uh, He doesn't do that. He just says, have you thought about tweaking this a bit and maybe arranging things this way? So Jethro teaches us to speak into other people's lives and to do so with care and to think about ways how we can all be on mission together. Point number two, uh, Jethro sharpens Moses' focus. He says, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're focused on the wrong things here, Moses. Your responsibility is to lead the people spiritually, and there might be other qualified people to look at these other kinds of disputes. Now, you think, what really is the, the message behind this? I think you put it, bring it right into our modern-day context, is this. God is for structure. <laughs> He's for good management, He's for good stewardship, practical things, and common sense things. 
Because this is so crucial. Why? Because you'll have some Christians that talk like this. You know, we don't need any process. God's going to do it. We don't need to think about that. You know, let's just go and, and we'll, you know, be, be faithful and God. But I think this points to the strong, a strong direction to say God wants us to use our minds. To think about what he's entrusted to us. How do we care well for each other? What kind of structure best suits the way that we would point each other to Christ? And so what's the real task? The real task is to walk with the Lord, to obey his statutes, yes, to take care of the disputes, but how can we set things up to make sure that this happens so God gets the glory? God is, uh, doesn't mind us being practical in this sense. Okay, thirdly, crucially, verse 21, um, Jethro's solution is to delegate. And there are qualifications for the kind of people that lead in the people, among the people of God, right? He says, able men, you could say for certain offices, able men and women from the people who fear God, who are trustworthy and who hate a bribe. Four qualifications. That word able, yes, it means competent, but it also means something like strong, something like uh, exhibits mental fortitude, that there's a more character aspect to it. Yes, there's a competence, but it's about mental, uh, mental toughness there. So you, these are able, strong, competent, uh, strong people, right, who then have a fear of the Lord, that they're not man-pleasers. You say Galatians 1 and verse 10, you can't serve God and be a man-pleaser. Well, we're all tempted uh, to be a man-pleasers uh, of other people. But a good qualification for leadership is to think about what God wants to be principled, right, to love the truth, to not be those who deal in falsehood and then to be disinterested in the world, those who wouldn't take a bribe, to, to not love the world, but to place the things again. You know, I think about all these, same thing in the pastoral epistles. The qualifications for leadership in the church are, are not performance-based. Um, not, not because you look a certain way or because you're able to do something, but are based on character. So what's Jethro saying? I see a problem here. The people aren't being cared for as well as they could be cared for. And I want them to be cared for. The main thing we've got to do is obey God and we've got to all do this together. Let's refocus on the mission. And thirdly, we've got to do this by delegating to people of character who put God first. So now, very, if I could just make a few practical applications on this. One is we, we do a, a very bad job of listening to the older people in our lives. We Westerners are terrible at this. And we prize youth over age. And here you have Jethro, a father-in-law, speaking into a son-in-law's life to make things better. And I gotta tell you, I the, look back at my life and had a chance to replay this in my interview process three years ago, just looking at the men God's placed in my life. The three guys, huge impact in my life, all born about 20 years before me. They're 20 years older than me. Other guys that I go to for counsel, you know, I joked, I said, really, I think all my mentors are over the age of 80. Uh, three guys I get in the jam, top of my list, are all in their 80s now. I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for older men speaking into my life. Saying, young man, you settle down. You follow Jesus, you be faithful. We're with you, and it's a long journey. See, I hope we're a church that values the older saints among us. And along that, I could ask this question of you. Say, here's a practical application. Maybe you won't. Have I asked advice of an older person in my life? Have I asked advice, men? <laughs> Have I asked advice of my father-in-law? Say, hey, I got a little bit of a problem here. What, would you, what can I do to, what do you suggest I do? 
And see what Moses teaches us amazingly. This is why Moses, a magnanimous leader, look at verse 24. Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. He was humble enough to recognize that he needed help, that Jethro made sense, that he listened to him, and he implemented it, and apparently everybody got a little bit better because of it. So points, I think, for us to think about. We're all subject to fatigue and burnout. Why is that the case? Because we're creatures. We're creatures and we need help. Secondly, what's preventing me from asking help is my own ego. And that's not right. And I need God to humble me. And thirdly, that God can provide resources from within the family so that we might help each other. So then look at our church. They think of where we're at. Why is it that we have multiple staffs? Where's that in the Bible? Well, Exodus 18, for one that we call those so we can best shepherd and care for one another? Why is it that we're, we're calling an executive pastor? And why do, do we acknowledge Denny as being perfect for this role? Well, part of it is filtered through this. How about a Dave Hooper? Well, what we want to do is to recognize uh, what God's entrusted to us and how do we care well for each other. Say so the church is not a pyramid, right? At the beginning of this chapter, that's the problem. Everything going out from one point. Say, no, I'd say the church is like a pie, The church is an interlocking pie with everybody, right? The lay leaders, the small group leaders, those leading Bible studies, those involved in the women's ministry, all of us caring for each other, using the gifts we've been given to push each other to Christ. See, not a top-down structure, but one where each of us in our gifting is caring for one another. You know, I I think Michael Jordan was right when he said this. He said, you know, talent wins games, but teams win championships. I think there's a lot of truth in that. They got a lot of talented people, individual movers, say, but, uh, you know, sometimes I've heard it said, you don't want a team of high performers, you want a high-performing team. We don't want a church of high performers, we want a high-performing church. And to do that, all of you, those of you who are members, again, you're a tender, I'm glad you're here, I you know, can't hold you accountable to this, but if you're a member, you're saying, I've been called here, I've been endowed with a certain set of gifts to steward well so that I might lead for Christ's sake that it's not a pyramid, but a pie, that we're all in it together. I'll close with this. You're not a Christian today. Come out on this snowy day. Very glad you're here. Brought along by a loved one or something. We're really glad you're here. Say, maybe you're here today and you're thinking about this. You say, you know what? I've always just defaulted to what I've been talking about, what Dave was talking about. Say, I've defaulted to the place where I, I do it myself. I don't need any help. So, but maybe you just see today thinking about what we sang, what it means to be a Christian, that you do need help, that you need help on a cosmic level for your sin and rebellion. You say, I need Jesus to cover me. I need his blood so 